I would like to speak to you about the life, the life and mission of the church, as if you don't already know it, because you're already showing that life and you've already committed to that mission. Have you ever asked yourselves, why do we exist as a church? Who invented the church in the first place? Is it because we had nothing better to do? So people just invented the church to entertain you with great music, as we've heard here today, to hear the pastor, to come into a nice building. The church exists because of a historical person that came to earth over 2,000 years ago. And the church exists because of something that was accomplished over 2,000 year, years ago, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power. Say power. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So it's according to what this scripture says, it says that the church, when that Holy Spirit came upon the church in Acts chapter 2, something happened. People started to become witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it started in Jerusalem where they lived first. And someone spoke to someone who spoke to someone who spoke to someone who reached your family, who reached your family, who reached my family or friends. And that's why we are here today because of what took place over 2,000 years ago in the scriptures. <clears throat> now it says there, that the Holy Ghost will produce power to be what? To be what? Witnesses. It says here, you shall be witnesses. It doesn't say that you will go knocking on doors and talking to people, but that your very life will be a witness whether you are witnessing or not. Your very life. In the book of Job, chapter, chapter, chapter 32, how many of you know that Job was written before the book of Genesis? Even though Genesis is the first book of the Bible, but Job is older than Genesis. And in Job, chapter 32, verse 18 through 20, it says, For I am full of words, and my spirit compels me to speak. My heart is like unvented wine. It is about to burst like new wineskins. I must speak so that I can find relief. I must open my lips and respond. That's describing someone who has something to say and is burning within him with passion and he's full of words. His, his spirit is compelling him to speak. My heart is about to burst. I must speak so that I can find relief. Have you ever been so excited that you wanted to say something and you just couldn't wait to share with others? I, find, I used to find myself that way all the time. 
And some things were good and some things were bad. I remember when I, martial arts was the in thing back in the 70s. And, and I started learning karate and I became a fanatic. And all I wanted to do, if you came to my house, I would start a conversation with you about the martial arts. Because after all, I was a legend in my own mind. That's not funny. I was, <laughs> I was a legend in my own mind. My daughters, I remember when, when they were little, my twin girls, oh my gosh. And I haven't seen them all day. And as soon as I got home, daddy, 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 daddy. And they wanted to both, they're in their excitement, talk to me at the same time. And I'm like, one at a time, please. But they, all, they wanted to beat the other one in telling me their news. Because they were excited. They had something that was compelling them. Their hearts were about to burst. <clears throat> when I met my wife, and I started falling in love with her, all I could think about was her. And I, when I'm in school, I'm writing, I'm taking notes. I love you. I love you, Deborah. I love you. Uh, you would think I was very studious and taking notes uh, about what the professor was saying. But all I could think about was my wife. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to see her. We're not married yet, but I just can't wait to see her. And if you came to my house, hey, guess what? I met this girl. Oh, my gosh. She has stolen my heart. I can't, you know. So I was excited. Now, my question to you tonight is what compels you? What is vying for your attention? What do you find speaking uh, yourself about on a continual basis. Now, I know I look very young, but I'm 64 years young, okay? I'm going to be 65 in, in May. And I became a Christian at the age of 18 back in 19, it was a long time ago, 1976. Some of you weren't born yet. But I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ in 1976. And I used to be a very shy young man. I was the least person that you'd expect here on this pulpit to hear tonight. Because I would come to, if I would come anywhere where there was, it was a classroom setting, a church, anywhere, I'd pick the corner seat somewhere where nobody could see me. All right? And if you had a closet, I would prefer to be in the closet because I don't want people know, knowing that I was there. But back at, in 1976, at the age of 18, something happened to me. I had an encounter with this Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I, I received him as my Lord and Savior. And now all of a sudden, I found myself wanting to speak to... I didn't know it was possible for us to have a relationship with God. That we can talk to God. That we can have fellowship with God. And it changed my life. It changed my way of thinking. I found myself compelled to speak before my heart would burst. Jesus is now my Lord and Savior. You have to understand that I came from a home where my mother was involved in spiritualism. My father was an alcoholic and there was no peace in our home day or night. And now all of a sudden, I find this peace that only comes from the Prince of Peace. But when Jesus came in, I remember it was in John Jay College, 1976. I'm 18. I go to John Jay College of Criminal Justice, and they have these signs up. Come to the Seekers Christian Fellowship Club everywhere. 
they were, I mean, they were going crazy, posting it all over the school. And I said, you know, I'm available at that time to go to that club. But it says Christian. Oh, I'm not a Christian. I guess that's for Christians. But it kept attracting me. But I didn't dare show up because it said Christian on it. Until this beautiful girl that I knew from junior high school and I knew her from high school. I didn't know we both went to the same college now. And we met. And she says, hey, I go to this Christian club. Would you like to come with me? And I'm like, oh, I get a personal invitation now. And it was drawing me to come. So I went because I wanted to come, but she was beautiful, you know. So that was like a plus. I'm like, yeah, I'll get to know her and go to the club at the same time. My wife knows who she is, all right? <laughs> I can talk about her, you know. But I didn't know that something was going to happen to me that day. Because that day I gave my heart to Jesus. I didn't know what I was doing. People, these Christians surrounded me, and now I was scared. Because I'm like, why are they surrounding me? Why are they holding hands? They're praying over me now. And I'm like, what is going on here? That blew my mind. But I never, what is it? Res I, I'm looking for the word. Not resented, but anyway, I never regret it. That's the word. Making that decision because my life totally changed. And it started a chain reaction. Because when Jesus came in, confusion went out. At first, I didn't want to know about religions. I didn't want to know about Jesus because there was too many of them. And it was confusing to me. And I didn't want to accept any of it. But when Jesus came in, confusion went out. When Jesus came in, the devil went out of our home. Jesus now became the reason for living. He became the motivating factor that broke through my shyness. He caused a chain reaction of salvation to take place in my home. My mother became a Christian. My stepfather became a Christian. My brother became a Christian. My older brother became a Christian. And it, but it didn't end there. Then we had family members. So the Lord just started working because of the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in us. Let me tell you that one of the main reasons that we exist as a church is for this purpose. Found in Matthew, not only Acts 1-8, to be a witness, but the other one is found in Matthew 28. Where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. So we are to be a witness and then to make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So whatever Jesus taught the disciples is what we are called to do. Jesus taught his disciples to duplicate themselves in this text, which is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. I submit to you tonight that this same reason holds true today. This means that the body of Christ has a challenge, a responsibility in reaching the world with the message of salvation. But Houston, we have a problem. That's from a movie, in case you didn't see it. <clears throat> We have a problem. Statistics, statistics indicate that only five out of every 100 Christians make any attempt to share their faith. Five out of 100. You know what happened to me? After I became a Christian in the 1970s, then coming into the 1980s, I became one of those 
that I stopped sharing my faith. I wasn't outspoken like I, I had been. And I went, I started, I got, a, 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 I found a job working with the criminal justice agency. And um, I was, during that time, in my marriage, I was in, its, in the early stages and years were going by. And I got sick and tired of being sick and tired because I said, there's something wrong with my marriage. How do I fix it? You know, we, the Bible says we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Why is he being powerless at home? <clears throat> and I wanted to see, okay, you know, and many times it's because we're not doing, walking in the Spirit as the Bible commands us to. All right? Seeking, what does Jesus want us to do? Because when he said to love one another, he didn't say if you feel like it. He didn't say it's based on a glandular reaction. He said, he commanded us, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another, period. So I need to put that into practice whether I feel love towards my wife or not. So, I go to this job, and I'm not making any effort to really witness, to do, be a witness. But people there knew I was a Christian. And one day, this guy sees, like, whenever there was a break flow, prisoners weren't coming in. We didn't have to interview them. There was nothing to do. I had a Christian book on marriage that I would read, and I left it there in my corner. And this guy looks at it and says, hey, why are you reading this book? I said, well, you know, I'm married and I'm trying to get some principles. You know, uh, uh, I need some things that, that to learn, to apply in my marriage. And he says, oh, it talks about the Bible there. And so he started asking me questions. And he said, then he starts asking me about Christianity and how does one become a Christian? And I tell him, but I'm only answering his questions. Like, leave me alone. I'm, I, I, I got my own problems, you know. And then the following day, he comes up to me, and he says, ow, ow. And I'm like, what? He says, I did it. And I said, you did what? He says, what you said yesterday. I'm like, okay, we talked a lot yesterday. He says, I got down on my knees last night, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins. And I was like, that happened? I wasn't even trying to be a witness. I wasn't trying to evangelize. But he got so excited that he would start conversations with me. Then other coworkers started getting into the conversation. And then one by one, they were all getting on their knees to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And there was about nine of us that worked on the day shift. And every one of us were now serving the Lord. And I remember a police officer coming in with a prisoner. And he took, takes him to the cell. Then he comes back. He says, I don't know what's happening here. Every time I walk into this, into central booking, all you people are doing is talking about Jesus, talking about the Bible. And then a few weeks later, he comes in talking about Jesus, talking about the Bible. He became a Christian too. And he says, every time I walk in here, I feel like making the sign of the cross, you know. <clears throat> and he became one of us. <laughs> and it got to the point where employees said, Al, why don't you start Bible study? Why don't you start a Bible study in the courthouse? We'll find a room. 
And so we did find a room, but then we needed a bigger room. So we started meeting. We, uh, one of uh, the employees spoke to a judge, and the judge gave us the keys to the courtroom. And for three years, we were meeting in a courtroom of criminal justice. And I was giving Bible studies, and then there were other Christians that were mature enough to give Bible studies there. Once a week, we would meet during lunch hour. Until one day, a clerk came in and said, what's going on here? Who's in charge? And I'm like, uh, me? He says, I need you to step outside. So I'm like, oh, he's ready for a fight. I'm going to have to do my Bruce Lee. No. <laughs> so I go outside, and he says, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm giving a Bible study. And he says, how long have you been meeting here? And I said, three years. He said, three years? How, how are you getting in here? This room's supposed to be locked. I'm like, well, I have a key. How'd you get the key? The judge, <laughs> he gave us the key. And he says, well, that, this is not supposed to be taking place in a court of law. I need that key back, and you cannot use this room ever again. I'm like, okay. So I told the group, hey, until further notice, we can't meet anymore. And then uh, that week, I remembered, wait a minute, there's this man that works in the courthouse. He's one of, I, I believe he was the head clerk of all the clerks. And I always called him dad, and he would get upset with me, but I, I didn't care. I would still call him dad. And I said, hi, dad. And he said, stop calling me dad, you know, and, uh, in, in a loving way, you know. So I walked into his office, hey, dad. And he says, what? And that's how he would talk to me. I said, Dad, look, this happened. I was teaching the Bible, and I was kicked out. This clerk came in, and he looked at me with no hesitation. So what courtroom do you want? I'm like, you mean I have a choice? I don't have to go into that small courtroom? He says, no, you just tell me what courtroom. I said, I want the biggest one you have. On the second floor, I'll take that one. He says, I'll clear it with the judge and I'll clear it with the, the uh, court officers and they're to let you in every week on that day during this time period. And we got a large courtroom. <laughs> so what looked like <clears throat> it was going to stop something of God now became a blessing because we have a, had a bigger space to, to um, teach the word. Praise God. My prayer today is that many in the body of Christ will get delivered from the closet Christian syndrome. John Wesley uh, was attributed to saying, get on fire for God and people will come and watch you burn. When someone's on fire for God, it, it brings an attraction towards them. Many years ago <clears throat> in communist China, the Chinese government was concerned because too, there's too many Christians going around proclaiming this Jesus, speaking about the Bible, speaking about God, and we don't want that to continue. So what did they do? We're going to put a stop to this. We're going to put a stop to Christianity. We're going to separate all these Chinese people that are proclaiming to be Christians. We're going to put you in this area of China. We're going to put you in that area of China. We're going to put you in another, in another, in another. And what happened? They wound up putting evangelists and teachers and pastors, people with spiritual giftings all over China. And now there are multiple millions 
Because they thought, the communist government thought Christians would forget about Christianity if we separate them. Because they would have no one to talk to. <laughs> it backfired. Because now it's multiple millions and millions that are in underground churches in China. Praise the Lord. So why is the Great Commission important? Why is the letter C in the Great Commission important? Because if you take out the letter C in what is known as the Great Commission that is found in Matthew chapter 28, what happens? What word do you have? You have an omission. So the letter C is important because when a church drops the letter C and it's so, uh, what is it? Um, when you look around at many churches that exist, they exist, they're existing for other reasons, but they've forgotten the real reason, which is to fulfill the Great Commission, to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes they go around preaching the Bible and they never mention the name of Jesus. They, they, ha they have a, a Christless Christianity, a crossless Christianity, when the Bible is all about Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When a church drops the letter C, they begin to lose their vision. They become spiritually blinded. They become self-centered. They begin to experience spiritual death. They surrender the very reason for existence as a church. They surrender the cause and they surrender the cross. Why is the letter C important? And I may not finish this tonight, but I'll be back most likely Wednesday. So you can get the second part of it. Why is the letter C so important? Because it stands for conviction. A conviction is worthless unless it is converted into action. We need to be convicted in our hearts that all men are eternally lost and in need of salvation. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. He writes, for Christ's love compels us. What happened to this man that was a persecutor of the church? And now he's being compelled to go around preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. From being a persecutor to being a preacher. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. This was Paul. What made him change? The fact that he had an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Paul, who never walked with Jesus, now writes two-thirds of the New Testament and accomplishes more than all the disciples put together. Why? Because now he had a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And it's interesting, that word compels there, for Christ's love compels. Listen, listen to this. Christ's love compels. <clears throat> the word compels comes from the Greek word sunikai, which means to press, to hold together, to hold fast. The love of Christ was the adhesive, the glue, 
the cement that held Paul's ministry in place. I submit to you, and many times when I share this in marriage classes, I submit to you that that same love can compel marriages to be pressed, to hold together, to hold fast. It is the adhesive, the love of Christ is the adhesive, the glue, the cement that held Paul's ministry in place, and it holds our marriages in place. It was the love of Christ demonstrated on the cross of Calvary that compelled, drove, and motivated the Apostle Paul to hold fast to the ministry. It was at the heart and center of his ministry. There was a deep conviction that was now being displayed in what? In action. In action. Many years ago, it's not intended to be a marriage seminar, but many years ago when my, our marriage, we, almost, we weren't going to, if you would have known us back in the early stages in the 1980s, you would say those two are not going to remain married. They're always arguing. There's no peace in their home. Neighbors could hear you arguing all over the, uh, in, uh, in the fifth, over 50 apartments that were there in Brooklyn, New York. But my wife said, honey, there was something that happened to me. And she says, I felt an outpouring of God's love in my heart. Romans chapter 5, she was experiencing the love of God is shed abroad or poured out in our hearts by what? The Holy Spirit, which is given to us. But she said, hon, something started happening. As I was praying, which I didn't think she was do anymore, because there was no love in our relationship. But she says, as, as I was praying, and reading my Bible, things started happening in my heart. And God was speaking to me. And what she was experiencing was that love be coming back into her heart to the point that here I was trying to win her love back again, reading all these marriage books, listening to marriage cassette tapes, um, going to marriage counselors, speaking to people who were married a long time and had a good relationship because you just can't approach anybody. You know, they might give you the wrong advice if they don't have a good relationship. Hey, just divorce her. There's plenty of fish in the sea. That's what I was told. But anyway, <clears throat> so I did everything possible. And she said, honey, I just... Something started happening to me. God was operating in her heart, and that was the beginning, a process. And, and today we can say we are happily married for 40 years, and she tells me now, I'm glad I didn't give up on you. And it got to the point where here I wanted to win her love back, and then she started out loving me. And I'm like, how did that happen? I'm trying to outlove her, but now she's outloving me. How's that, how's that possible? The love of God being shed abroad in our hearts. It is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to be a witness in Jerusalem where you live first. Amen? Praise the Lord.